listening to Represent, the QueerMusicals.com podcast. Hello everyone. I'm so lucky today to be joined by the writers and stars of Interstate, which is a new musical which is currently showing at the East West Theatre in Los Angeles, which is where I am right now. Uh, so what I'm going to do first of all is I'm just going to read a little bit from the press release so that everybody gets to know a little bit about what Interstate's about and then I'll get all of my guests to introduce themselves. So this is from the press release. It says Interstate is the touching story about how two transgender people at different stages of their journey navigate love, family, masculinity and finding a community in the era of social media. It tells two stories that eventually intersect. Fueled by the allure of fame and a desire to connect with their community, Dash and Adrian embark on a road trip across America for their first national tour. Their fiercely political and deeply personal music touches Henry, a transgender teenage boy living in a small town in middle America, and he finds solace in their art as he struggles with his own identity and family. After blogging about the band and documenting his own gender journey, Henry decides to set out on a quest to meet his heroes in person, hoping to find answers to his own struggles. Marvellous. So I'm going to get everybody to introduce themselves and say how they fit in to that story. Uh, so let's start with Melissa, if that's okay. Yeah, uh, my name is Melissa Lee. I use she, her, hers pronouns. Um, I am uh, one of the creators of Interstate. I uh, co-write book with uh, my writing partner, Kit Yan, and uh, lyrics as well. And uh, I'm the composer of the musical. Thanks, Melissa. Lovely. And Kit. Hi, James. Uh, my name is Kit. I use they, he, and she pronouns. I'm the one of the co-creators of Interstate, splitting book and lyrics with Melissa. And I'm super excited to be here. Hooray. And uh, Jaya? Hello, I'm Jaya Joshi. I play Henry in Interstate. And I use they pronouns primarily, but because I play a lot of characters who use different pronouns than that, like I'm putting on and taking off identities all the time. So I tend to say I use all pronouns. Thank you so much. Lovely. And Jupiter. I'm Jupy. I'm Jupiter Lay. Um, I play Dash. Um, and I use the he, him, his pronouns. So happy to be here. I'm <laughs> so excited. Oh, man. Yeah. This to me, this is one of the most exciting uh, podcasts and interviews that I've ever done because I, I love Interstate so much. Um, I first discovered it, I think it was on a website called ringofkeys.org, which is an organization in uh, New York, which is quite a random way to come about it, really. But I discovered Melissa and Kit's work there. And I have been following Interstates ever since, uh, showing it to my students and talking to anybody that will listen uh, to it about, about the show. Um, so what I thought I'd do, we'll just see how things go and feel free to chip in as, as you want to as we go. Um, but I, I wanted to start off, because this, this whole podcast series is about representation, I wanted to start by talking about the idea of heroes, which is quite uh, central to interstate. And I was going to ask you to maybe talk about people that uh, are particular heroes to you, whether that's within theatre or whether that's more generally, and thinking a little bit about who has shaped uh, the way that you are. <laughs> it's quite a big question to start with, isn't it's it? It's a beautiful question. Beautiful. I can't start because I'm thinking about how beautiful that question is. <laughs> it's not, that's so pretty. Oh, man. It just takes me back to, like, you know, when you're younger and they're like, who's your role model? Who do you look up to? Um, and a lot of times, you know, I, I mean, I feel like as I'm getting older, I feel like I'm my own 
role model because you kind of have to pave your own way in the world and you're like there's no one who looks at me but look, looks like me and then you get into this musical and you're like oh my god there's plenty of people who look like me <laughs> um and so you know i think for i i mean i can just answer it um the, i used to think uh, i had to focus all of my role models and role models into the soul like soul person like i always thought of being like an obama or like somebody just a, mm. a figure and then i realized all the role models are all the queer people around me all the queer trans you know people of color just all around me and you're like oh my god i like you and i like this part of you and i like this and we're all together so i think i think it's really i find my leadership in like our community and how we hold each other it's all about the bonds and that 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 keeps me going so that's that's the model um that i want to preserve and i just love and that we have thank you so much for that I think that's one of the really big things, actually. One of the things I've been finding as I go through this is people often talk about, first of all, the idea of their having their own, being their own role model and having to find their own way because the representation wasn't there. But I think also this idea about how how people want to fit us into boxes. And so if you are in the gay box, you can't also be in the Asian box and you can't also be in the disabled box and all this sort of thing. And I think this idea of community is so important. Let's get somebody else to talk, shush me now. Let's have somebody else talking. <laughs> um, I remember like thinking back, I constantly now playing a 16 year old, like all I do is think about what it was like to be 16 and like, God, what did I think? <laughs> like what was going on with me then? Because I was, I was out as queer tentatively, but I was almost completely closeted and like just ignoring what was going on inside me. So it was, I knew that I didn't see what I needed to see around me. I knew that nothing looked like me, but I didn't, I didn't know what I was looking for, so I didn't really know where to look. But I remember seeing the movie version of Rocky Horror Picture Show and seeing Tim Curry in that movie and feeling like that's something like <laughs> whatever is going on with this person is sort of right. Like, I get that th we both have curly hair. We both look like that when we try to wear makeup and heels, but we still like it like just seeing somebody twisting it all up, not like, not trying to show you something that you already had a script for how to process felt very awakening. And then I only felt further awakened when a friend told me that he then went into hiding after Tim Curry played that role, he disappeared because the response was so intense that he was kind of in shock and ashamed. <laughs> Um, even though he had created this thing that like clearly is so beautiful and so like inspiring to me, inspiring to many, but it, yeah, like retrospectively, it makes complete sense that I saw myself in that. But at the time it was like, I guess I'm just really weird, maybe. <laughs> but <laughs> no, that's amazing. I, th I think um, gender and particularly non-binary gender is something that we would be lovely to talk about today as oh, well yeah. because it's made such a such a big difference uh, and I feel like musical theatre is just about to start to get the hang of this now um, oh. but it's been it's been a long time coming but thank you for that uh, Melissa and Kit I'm, I'm fascinated to know who uh, who kind of influenced you or who you looked up to oh that's really true well I did want to just add I guess echo sort of what Jupiter was saying about like that it's not one specific person I think I think like I was asked this when I was younger too I had to like make a 
I had to make a presentation in high school about like my heroes and I really was struggling I think because I think at that time I was also thinking about how like flawed individual people could be so I think like Jupiter saying like sometimes you think it has to be like a figure or a person who's just perfect but I actually think that heroes can also be people that are imperfect and that's sort of a theme that we have in our show um, as well right like you know Dash's dad is his hero and of course like leads him down some problematic paths um, but at the same time is still kind of like an amazing person and so uh so yeah so there's complexity there i didn't answer your question james because i still don't know who my heroes are but i think the closest is just thinking again about what jupiter said like i think it's about communities of people um versus any individual um think about our queer elders and people in our own communities that have paved the way um for us to be here today absolutely thank you uh kids yeah, I'd, I'd love to actually jump in and talk about the show a little because in our show, Henry really looks up to Dash and the show is set in 2008. And 2008 is the year that Melissa and I got in our car and drove around the country looking for more people like ourselves because we hadn't found enough people like ourselves. And we just wanted to hear people's stories and meet people and see see the country and so and and find our folks and so in the in interstate the band queer malady goes on a journey just like we did and they are putting themselves out there they're putting their work out there and because of that somebody um henry it looks up to them and finds their work and has never seen anybody else like himself and so therefore wants to consume all of their content go to their show and that sort of thing. And that is very reflective of the times that we were touring in 2008. I think when you, um, just similarly to what, what a lot of people here said, when, when there isn't a ton of representation out there, you're sort of just kind of looking for whatever you can get. And, um, and so that, that's certainly like a part of the, the show and then a part of our lives. Like for me, when I was, coming into my, my queer and trans identity. I was 18, 19 years old. I was uh, in Boston, very far from home. I grew up in Hawaii. And so I was trying to figure out who I was. I went to the school nurse to ask her, like, I have this feeling inside me, what can I do about that? And then she was like, I don't really know, but I'm gonna go ask a friend of a friend. And, and then um, I started going to this really beautiful thing called gender crash. It was in Jamaica Plains. It was of these times, the, the 2002, 2003, to, like, to 2008 times. And um, there were a lot of like queer and trans people there of all identities and expressions. There were a lot of older folks, older than me by a couple of decades who I really looked towards. Um, I didn't quite see anybody exactly like me, but it was still very hopeful to hear uh, older queer folks just talk about who they are. It was like an open mic, but you didn't really have to bring up piece of art. You could like stand up there and just like rant, <laughs> read your Craigslist ads, talk about your day, really just do whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so because it was like that, people were just talk, speaking very personally. And I, I just will never forget that that was a space and that was like 
my very first entry point to this beautiful queer world was a space where people just were really free to be themselves and express themselves however they wanted to. That's that's so lovely and something that comes across I think so much in interstate as well is that the idea about using art to kind of find more out about yourself. I was going to ask about a little bit about that as well. What do you do to kind of um, express your identity? How does that kind of work for you? James, I feel like you're quoting the show and you haven't even... <laughs> <laughs> like, is it, I mean, there's a line of like, push our activism through art. Um, and I just thought you were just going to start singing the lyrics. I was like, <laughs> did you say it It's so wild. Um, oh, well, I, well, I wasn't, I, I just, I just chat. I wasn't ready to answer the question. I know I have a specific moment, memory of, I mean, it was like a life memory of really, my art came before my identity. So it was, I like, when I was younger, I was really um, kind of like the outcast. I was really small and I felt really fragile. And I was kind of like the, you, you didn't like, you, I wasn't somebody to be seen. And, but it was, in the way that I like started off playing piano and then the ook and the guitar. And it was through that where there was moments where I can gather like 30 plus a hundred plus people to sing songs together, uh, but they didn't see me. And, but that was a kind of a compromise world. If they can't see me or my gender identity, or they can't perceive me the way that I want to be perceived, they, they can perceive me the way that, um, that I play music. I want them to see the way I play music and, um, and focus on my ability to create music and create space rather than me. So, um, I guess that was kind of my gateway to my own expression in terms of like, this is this is a part of me, but I didn't know who I was. Like, I didn't know that I wanted to be who I am today. Um, uh, and so it was, it, it's, it's, I would say that music and um, art, it serves as that vessel, as that bridge um, to really express my way of my, myself in a way that I didn't know that was possible, which is like, you know, like people are always like, you know, art is <laughs> so, um, like art is me. I am. I am art, or uh, this is the best way to express myself. But I, I really think about that bridge of if it weren't for art, I wouldn't be been able. I wouldn't have would not have been able to open myself up in a way because I didn't want to be seen, you know. But because I was seen for my music, because I was seen for my art, then I was able to be like, okay, people want to see me, so I can I can choose to be seen for me. Uh, yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. That's really. Do you still have things that you write now? Do you have like um, uh, have you got songs out there? That kind of oh thing. gosh, I I'm so baby. Oh my god, is that do I have to define baby in this? Case? <laughs> I'm so baby. I mean, I what do I have? I have like clips of performances online, but it was really my like my art's very personal, and I share it with my local communities. Like, I am from Boston, so it's like people from Boston know know my stuff. So, but it's it's I I always do it. It's just always space oriented. It's never like I put out a song. It's always okay. I have this group of people and we created this moment and we all sang like Adele together or something like, and that that's some, an iconic moment we recall. That's, uh, so yeah, I like creating moments over, over stuff. Mm, amazing, thank you. Uh, somebody else? Um, I'll <laughs> try it. <laughs> um, I think I like, I have a lot, I have a lot in common with that feeling of, thinking like you get to a point where people can see what you're making but they can't see you um that is super familiar um I think I started I st everybody in my family can sing I was always encouraged to sing they were very supportive of anything that I wanted to do and that was one of the things that I wanted to do and it felt at first 
like I didn't know what I was really pushing back against, but I felt like I had to stick a flag in the ground of like at the time, the only language I had for it was like, I need like, it's not fair that girls who are pretty get to be seen for their voice. If I can sing better than they can, maybe I could be seen like just wanting to show up and be there and be like, no, like I have something like <laughs> everybody isn't going to just like, like I, I felt so pushed out. I didn't feel like I could find a group socially. I felt like the Indian community thought that I was too white and the white community was like, we don't even want to touch that. And the gay communities were like, you dress wrong. <laughs> so I didn't like, I felt like I had to like ice pick my way in by just like for so long, all I thought about was like, I'm not going to be difficult. I'm not going to cause any problems. I'm not going to give anybody a reason to not let me be in a room. Um, so all I did was focus on getting better. And then when it got to the point that like, I was working for this thing that I cared about so much, but doing it was so painful because doing it involves somebody else evaluating you and then telling you what kind of woman you seem like if you seem like a woman to them. And if seeming like a woman is painful for you, then you're going to find out, but you might not be sure where it's coming from. Um, so I spent a lot of time kind of with interplay between like how much I was comfortable with everybody understanding my identity, how much I wanted to share. And post pandemic, especially, I have been just coming into rooms and being like, yeah, this is who I am. These are my pronouns. Like it really is. I thought it wouldn't be, I thought I could get through my life wearing dresses and playing women and having everybody think that that continued off stage with me. Like I thought that I could make that work and maybe I could make that work, but I'm realizing because of many, many positive experiences, specifically because of a production of cabaret that I did that was intended to be mostly, if not all queer and trans people, which it was where this like very well-intentioned cis white gay guy director opened up the space and was like, we want to know what a queer utopia would look like. And we want you guys to build it. Like, we're going to try to get it right. We're here to learn from you too. And a lot of people in that cast, like it was, they, everybody's identities expanded just because it was the only time that we all were brought together, like with the purpose of just understanding ourselves and helping other people to understand us. Like it was like a six week engagement that <laughs> left a whole bunch of us being like, oh God, I need to pursue gender transition just because the space was made for us to talk to each other. Um, so I don't, I have no idea what I would know if I wasn't making art, even though like, I like to keep my identity close to my chest. Like I'm shy. I'm starting to be okay with sharing it with other people and being like, like, even if I could hide it, I, I'm not in danger. Like I don't need to. That's so beautiful. It's uh, thank you. <laughs> thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, it's lovely. Um, Kit, I was particularly interested to talk to you about spoken word, if that would be okay, and poetry, because I think this is one of the first musicals that has incorporated this in. Certainly of the musicals I've looked at for the book, I think this is the only one that incorporates spoken word as well. So 
Well, they sort of have, uh, let's see, spoken word. So what I will say about spoken word is that it is from a time. It is very 90s. It is very 80s, 90s, 2000s um, in terms of its like modern American form. But of course, it has roots and traditions in oral history that are far older than that. Um, and spoken word is, is very, it's very personal. Uh, it's very confessional. It is uh, very expressive in a raw state. Um, and so because this show uh, occurs in 2008 and because we are from that time as well, it was an art form that had a lot of uh, people doing it during those times. I think what's, what's really beautiful about, um, I think creating any kind of art, spoken word, or even us creating this musical. And part of the reason why um, creating this musical is so important for us is, is that if we're not the folks who are gonna write our own stories down via a poem, a song, or a musical, or a book, or a movie, then uh, there isn't anybody else out there doing that for us. But sometimes there are, and they're often getting it wrong. And so it's really great for us as creators to be telling our own stories and telling stories from our communities and telling stories in collaboration with people in our communities, because then we get the opportunity to, to really reflect the, the truth and the joy and the struggles of our, our communities and our times. Um, and for spoken word being in this show, it's, it's really one one device in terms of the language of the show. We've got, we've got musical theater song, we've got diegetic song, and then we've got spoken word in both um, musical theater, what would be in a musical theater song or a diegetic song as well. So there, there's kind of a lot happening in the show, um, just in, if, you, if you're taking a look at like the, the form of it. Um, and for, for Dash, in terms of his spoken word in the show too, it's, it's an opportunity for, for him to, and just like it was for me, to figure himself out on stage, to bring what was in his journals and his like uh, attempts to figure out who he is or what he's, how he's seeing the world like onto the stage. Um, and I, when I look back on my spoken word, I like really cringe. <laughs> I'm just like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I wrote that stuff. But, but then I have to meet the material where it's at. I have to like go back and say, okay, this is a time in my life when I was struggling or figuring this out or feeling joyous about this. And that is a beautiful time capsule <laughs> that, that that represents rather than feeling like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe I said that. Um, so yeah, that's a little, a little bit about like the, our spoken word journey through this show. But I'd be curious to, to know what you think, Melissa. Well, you know, as you were saying that, I was I was thinking about this question and the last question as well, where, you know, I, I didn't have the same relationship to, like, discovering my queerness after the art. Like, I, I came out when I was 11, and I didn't start writing music until I was, I was 13. And so, for me, music and my queerness are intricately tied because it, because I didn't write anything that was not queer. I think, you know, especially 
actually, you know, I'm, I'm 13 years old. So, <laughs> you know, I like, I like have a crush on someone and then all of a sudden it's like my world, right? Like all songs is about this person and they're awful and they're, they're like tragically horrible, these songs. So, but I just, but you know, I'm like, I'm like, put, I, I, it was for me, right? Yeah, at that time it was, it was for me and really trying to get through what it was that I was feeling and trying to figure out and so for me it's intricately tied but I thought of that too Kit when you were saying like oh I cringe at the at the thing but you really have to honor the people that we were when we're young right because it's it actually in writing those bad things it 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 was integral to making us who we are today so so I just want to say that but um but yeah I mean I think what is also great about spoken word in the show despite me making fun of it all the time I do think it is it's really such a huge part of this character's personality and how he expresses himself in a very unique way I think like I don't know I just think it also just makes this main character super interesting that this is how he expresses himself and he's so loud and bombastic and he's he's out there saying all these things and then meanwhile there's a second layer of he's struggling with all these things right or you know how how we all are when we sometimes you know there's like the artist as a character and then like us as our inner selves so so i i I think that's just super interesting that that we have that for that character if you're interested in lgbtq plus representation in musical theater check out our website www.queermusicals.com for lots more information about musicals with lgbtq plus characters it's so funny while you're while you're talking and all of you were speaking then i was just thinking of various moments from the show which would link in so much to what you are what you're saying what you're talking about um it's really interesting talking about dash and spoken word and then kind of comparing that with um the song loser dumplings which is probably one of my favorite songs ever in the whole world because it's i i play it it's one there's a lovely acapella version online as well but there's lots and lots of different recordings of it and it's uh even playing it to a group of uh students in the uk um I, we all get it, the sort of why it's so important and because it's so specific. I'd love to talk a little bit more about that moment in the show, actually, um, and that, that, that kind of song and what that song means to the character and, and how it works, if that would be okay. It's my song. I got I to gotta step up for Dash. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I mean, it's, it's a delight. I think everybody agrees it's a delight. And that's just the gift of the, the writers to be able to create it. it's such a delightful song and it's it stands as a delightful song um i mean i can give the the synopsis of the the scene and it's just it's just you know his dash's father says you know i want you to be happy and i want you to get the girl you love and that girl potentially and but he thinks he full wholeheartedly believes it is adrian and he's like go get her you know you've been with her for this long and you know, she's like you, she's Chinese, she works for us, she's perfect, you know, dream person. And and Dash is just like in complete denial in the beginning. And I always wonder about that transition. It's like, what what does dad really say for him to be like, oh my God, I'm really in love. Um, and it's because dad is dad is an incredible chef. He puts in all the ingredients. He's like, he, she, she's this, she's that, she's then this. Why would she stay with you for this long if she didn't like you? 
but she she just doesn't know. So you got to work harder because she's clearly not going to do it. So you got to man up, you got to step in, you got to do the thing. And I think all of that language really gets to Dash and he's like, oh my goodness, you're totally right. And you're my father. Of course, I'm going to believe you. And you, you know, I'm going to try this thing out. And, and, you know, and you start to, I mean, it's a beautiful moment of, you know, you think you saw the signs with somebody um, when, when they probably weren't there, you made them up. So it's a, it's a beautiful song of complete imagination, unbridled imagination. <laughs> Just, it's not even supported by evidence sometimes. So, so, you know, he goes in and, and he, I mean, I'm not going to give you away with the, the scene for you, but, <laughs> but you know, he, Oh my gosh, he just, he just, he just do, he does, I mean, as we, we say it, as the kids say it, he does the most. He really comes up with the fact that she, um, you know, he was at a, uh, you know, poetry slam competition and, and Adrian showed up and, when, you know, when he loses, uh, Adrian shows up with these dumplings, in which he calls loser dumplings. Um, and you know, that could have been just an innocent moment of, you know, Hey, I brought you a snack. Like, you know, like I, you know, like well, let's go eat after, or she probably never did it, but he just goes into this major, major number of full imagination that she really did love me from the beginning. And I knew it because she gave me these dumplings and she was rooting for me, but she really loved me. And she was, you know, it's just a beautiful, it's so, it's so fun to just be in, to, cause just to be in love, you know, to be in love and to feel like somebody uh, you know, has, has seen, you know, seen you from the beginning um, to come and make those dots when they, they probably don't connect. So, uh, but that's, that's Dash. And by the end of it, he, oh, no, no, I shouldn't share, but you know, but you know, but you know, but you know, but he really, he really falls for it. He really falls for it. Um, and he wholeheartedly believes that he, he loves Adrian after in that, in that moment. I find loser dumplings to be a very complex moment. And, and Melissa, I think it'll be really fun to like talk about, some of the greater themes of the show too, in terms of like, yeah. like in this moment, Dash has his dad's voice in his head, go get this girl. And then he decide he sings a song and then he decides to um, go and confess his love for her and, and try, he does try to go and enact the, uh, the advice that dad gives him. And throughout the show, he's sort of like, it's simmering that he might do this or it's simmering that somebody's encouraging him to do this. And uh, one, of the, one of the themes in the show that we, we try to tackle um, is really about queer friendships and queer love. And so in what's operating underneath this moment is that is this like very hetero patriarchal idea that uh, one, you need a partner to navigate this world, two, that that partner needs to be a girl, and also that um, that if a, a man and a woman hang out, that has to be romantic. And so that's all kind of like simmering underneath this moment here. And we, you know, we go on a journey through the end of the show where they, they navigate this feeling. Um, act two is really dramatic <laughs> and all about the, the, the fallout from this moment. Um, and so I don't know, Melissa and I, we, we often talk about the idea of like, when, when we're, we were figuring out our queer identities or creating queer friendships, like there were many times I think in my life where I, I was hanging out with somebody super cool and queer and I'm queer. And then all of a sudden I have these feelings for them. And it, it got very, it would get very murky. 
And it was not always in my mind that, that these feelings could be friendship <laughs> because of all the things that we're operating under in society. Those things I just named in terms of like, you need a partner, you gotta be man and woman and two man and woman can't hang out unless they're together. And like, like all those things are like simmering underneath. And so like, I think now <laughs> when I think about, oh gosh, this queer person is so cool. The, uh, the idea that two people could really love each other and be friends or, the idea that people could love each other, be friends and even build a family or uh, commit to each other for life. Like those are all things I, I have come into, but not things that I previously knew. And I know yeah. Melissa, you talk about it a lot. Yeah, we do talk about it a lot because one of the things that we were asked, you know, is as part of our journey of writing this, we were asked by our dramaturg, we were asked by our director several times. It's like, is Dash really in love with Adrian and that's such a, seems to be kind of a simple question but I think we were like oh we have to really think about this right and we also need to talk about what what that means and queer friendship exactly everything that Kit was saying and I think for us you know having been queer for so long and just you know we're older than than you guys <laughs> um, but uh, you know like so for for us like we've experienced so much i think that we we know and i that's part of our uh, point of view coming into the story as well that that friendships are a spectrum um it's yeah if you're feeling romantic that's possible but it's also possible in a friendship right it's also you know it, so so yeah so i think that's what we're trying to explore also with with dash and adrian interstate it's it's so lovely to hear you talk about that. And one of the things I think musical theatre often does is it often tries to make everything into a, a binary, polarised things. You either feel love or you feel hate. It's all, it's all kind of like opposites. And one of the things that I love it, when we're talking about non-binary um, identities, it's something that I'm so interested in. And it's partly because of this idea that it lets things be nuanced and it lets things be both or neither and it lets things change over time and all of those things, even though Interstate, I don't think necessarily has uh, a character that necessarily identifies themselves as non-binary. I feel like there's all these kind of non-binary principles are such an important part of it and perhaps part of the queerness of the show as well. And the other moment I was going to talk about was, I'm talking about these songs deliberately because they're ones that are available for people to go and look at on YouTube. But I was going to talk a little bit about I Don't Look, uh, which is um, Henry's song. And again one of my favorite songs in that and I'd love to know a little bit more about about that song because to me that's a song that's full of joy and tragedy at the same time and I just love it but I'd love to hear more about what you think of that absolutely um that I think that also was one of my like audition material things that I was given it was maybe like the first piece of material from the show that I interacted with and obviously I was hooked, <laughs> like just the best. Unbelievable because like, before you even like can think about what like the meat of the song is, you're just listening to it and you're like, I am dancing and having a great time. I can't believe how fun this song is. <laughs> like <laughs> it, in the way that a great musical theater song can, it tricks you into just listening to it and not really like interrogating the lyrics but it is really about like the weight that builds up on you when you are 
it always like, I mean, it's a word with multiple meanings, but I think a lot about impotence, like about not being able to change things. It, like there is a lot going on for Henry, for every teenager that you like immovable objects all around you. You do not get to choose whether you go to school. You do not get to choose who you go to school with you, depending on how cool your parents are. Henry's parents aren't very cool. You don't really get to choose what you wear. You don't really get to choose who you hang out with even like there is so little that you can do. And one of the only powers that Henry has is saying, okay, well, if you're going to be awful, I'm not going to look like <laughs> if you are going to send me mean comments, I'm not going to look at it. If I think you might judge me, I'm not going to interact with you. Like it's a real, like shake it off by Taylor Swift kind of song. <laughs> except for the bridge where Henry is talking to this girl who showed him more kindness than any other person in the show does uh, aside from spoiler alert never mind um but <laughs> yeah this girl who is like very cute in a very 2008 way takes the time to be like, stop disrespecting Henry's property. And that amount of affection is enough to get him hooked. And in this song, he allows himself in the bridge to think about what it might be like to open up to somebody. Like, I have a whole section about like, the world is mean and cruel and I feel it so intensely. I'm just 16, but I know when the odds are stacked against me. Like. I'm not an idiot just because I'm not looking at people bullying me doesn't mean that everybody around me doesn't somehow see me as a target regardless of what I do like Henry cannot materially change his life he can only think about what it would be like if he had a girlfriend or a friend and I mean I could talk forever about it but I think that feeling that he needs a woman to be like oh I'm like it could, it can kind of like jumpstart you into coming out or make you feel like you'd be brave enough to live a life that you're not living. Like, gosh, if I just had this perfect girlfriend, everybody would see me as a man. Or like, if I just had like a romance with a woman who really gets me and really listens to me, then I would grow up faster or this would be more bearable. Um, I'm going to let somebody else talk about the song. <laughs> You know what you're saying, Jaya, that really is something that I think about a lot. And what's funny is like, there's a parallel journey between Henry and Dash, right? Henry thinks, okay, if I get this girl, everything's going to be better. And for Dash, dad's telling him, okay, get, go get this girl and everything's going to be better. And in some cases, like, I mean, and in, in, in a lot of times in life, that actually probably is true. Like, yeah. When you have somebody who sees you for who you are and loves you and your queerness and your relationship is beautiful and queer and it's working and that is a very safe space for you. Yeah, like it, it is. Like, is that the only path that is available in life? Absolutely not. But it is one that provides like all the joy and safety and comfort a person can have in this life, um, mm -hmm. depending on you know where you're at in this, in your lifetime and if those are your desires. And, and, and so it, it is, it is interesting to think about like, okay, well, Dash is on a journey where, okay, I'm my best friend, is, I have feelings, but they don't have to be romantic. And then Henry is looking for something to hold, encapsulate 
his identity, like a space to encapsulate all of who he is that he can feel totally seen in. I just wanted to also just a shout out to Jaya. I feel like Jaya, it's been so fun also watching you sing this song and what you bring to this character that, you know, we've never seen before, which is like, I, I feel like, especially with this song, like Henry is just such a fun kid to get to know right and and that's part of your interpretation too of like i'm i'm actually in control of my you know i'm i'm mature enough that i'm in control of the things that i let bother me or not bother me right so there's so there's that piece that makes the song so fun but also of course your interpretation of it and then of and then the in you know and then the bridge of being like you know i'm still a young kid that's vulnerable and here yeah (laughs) so yeah so just shout out on a fantastic performance of that Thank you so much. I feel like Henry's always looking for a win. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're really rooting for him. I I would I totally echo Melissa's um really like joy around your performance. And I want to swing this conversation back to the idea of like being non-binary. Because, hey. <laughs> yeah, because in this show, because it's set in 2008, in 2008, we're not using the language of non-binary. In 2008, the um the reason why, uh, you know, I, I think the reason why Dash is the way he is and Jupiter, I think you bring a really great performance to this in terms of the commitment to the masculinity that Dash is carrying through in 2008 is that in 2008, you had to be pretty binary. I think like the only messaging available in the media was like, you're a man or you're a woman, even if you decide to be trans. And so there, what we're really working against here is that, that idea that there, are, there is one way to, to do that. And interstate is often a critique of, trans in, of binary transness in that way. It's a real critique on, on that time. Um, and, and it's a critique plus it's a hope. It's a hope that people be whoever they are. And if that is, if, if being like, I don't know, I hope the show says like, you can be whoever you want to be. You can be a trans man if you want to be. Uh, Henry at the end, there is a beautiful moment where he meets somebody that says, um, that meets him where he's at and is saying to him like, you can, I like you with or without tea. And I think for us, that's a real, that it's at the end of the show, but it's a little nugget into saying, into maybe the idea that like, there is uh, transness can exist however you want it to be. Um, And in terms of like breaking the binary here too, where I think the show is trying to ask that question in multiple spheres, not only around gender, but around like life path. Um, I don't know, Melissa, if you want to speak towards like some of the- Yeah, I always imagine that like, that after Henry gets there, you know, like, like, what does Henry's life look like in five, 10 years, right? Like he might discover, he might be exploring his gender further. I, um, we, I had a conversation recently, this ties, this is related, but I, I had a conversation recently with our um, gender consultant, Josephine Kearns, shout out Josie. Um, and she was asking me, cause you know, we were, we were doing casting for Henry and she was asking, she's like, well, you know, like, is, is Henry, canonically non-binary and I was like you know that's such a great question and 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 like you said kid it really has to do with well 
I don't know. Like, I can't even define that for Henry. Like, I can't, I can't even say, like, yes, like, Henry is canonically, you know, non-binary, except living in 2008. We don't really know, and it's sort of open-ended, and I think that's probably why so many non-binary folks, like, really uh, relate to the character of Henry, because it's it's just a kid who's figuring things out, and I think that's just an important story to tell. Absolutely. I think it's, uh, that's lovely. Thank you very much. Because I think one of the most difficult things with theatre is when you're setting something which is in kind of the quite recent past. And it's, it's, it can be quite tricky to kind of locate your audience in something that they, that is part in the past, but it's only, is it, the distance is much smaller to travel than say setting something in the 1950s. Um, and I, I again, now hearing you all talk about this, I realise this is one of the things that I've always loved about interstate, but never really been able to articulate, is the fact that it challenges so many um, normatives, and I think particularly among them, the idea of uh, the binary system as well. And um, we're coming to the end of our time, but um, I was going to just finish off by asking you a little bit about the experience of uh, producing interstate with the uh, East West players, isn't it? Um, and um, and thinking perhaps what you will take away from this particular production of Interstate. Um, so I, I, yeah, I'd like to ask that to everyone in turn, if that would be okay to finish off. Um, Jupiter, do you want to start? Oh yeah, I knew you were going to figure it out. <laughs> 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 oh man, you're so silly. Oh man, what a major, I've been thinking about that a lot because um, I get a lot of questions. Of, I mean, I've asked myself since the beginning of how does it feel to do the role and to be in a musical like this and to, be, and to tell this tale and to tell the story like this on this stage, um, on the East Coast Players stage, you know, the, the, the premier theater, the largest running, longest running company, um, you know, empowering Asian American stories. Um, and so to, to find myself at those intersections and to be in that stage and to be in the role, oh my God, I, it just, I think every day I'm awakening to how I, you know, jumping into the role and telling the story it feels really easy it feels like you have this really safe community safe brave community who also say yes to the story and say and when you know trans cis um, you know people call it non people you know we're all saying yes we want to tell the story we're going to do it together we're going to do it on the stage and it's a beautiful thing and so it all it almost starts off innocent you're like oh, yeah we're just telling the story and we know what the story is and it's really revolutionary but it, to tell the story you're like oh it's just a story i, I had this unrequited love Oh, is it unrequited? I don't know. You got to figure it out. Um, you know, um, and, and and then, you know, and you see this kid, the small town kid, you know, um, figure out life. And it just feels like, oh, small town, small town boy. Um, and it feels really innocent. And then every day um, we, you know, now that we're in performances, you see people come out and they're like, this changed my life. Like, you know, you see the responses and you're like, wow, this is so amazing to see on stage. And I'm like, yeah, it is amazing to see on stage. Just because we like, we know, you know, we're, we're not the ones sitting in the audience, you know, so. It just feels like we're just telling the story, but you, I've just been awakened to how lucky I am. And I just know after this production, I'm going to like cry because then I realized I took the role for granted. You know, like you're just like, you're, you, know, you, you get back to regular musicals and regular stories and you're like, wow, this is all kind of boring. <laughs> this is not as exciting as this story. Uh, you know, I, you know no, no shade to other stories there, but you just realize that uh, what a gift to be you know, I mean, everybody wants to play a human being on stage. You know, you don't want to be this kind of caricature. You don't want to be the bad guy. You don't want to be the good guy. You don't want to be the bad, you know, bleh, you know, those, those things. Um, 
but to just live life on stage as as me and to do that for myself to have a good time for myself and to feel all the emotions um and then mirror you know be embody that experience for somebody else for the audience it's just it's just been an honor and i think it's, it's a gift it's a gift that keeps on giving um the more we stay with the story it's just a wonderful time thank you so much um jaya do you want to jump in there sure um it's been so i just i love working on anything that's any stage of new i love working on something that's still alive in some aspect and interstate even though the writers like things that changed there was i don't know the whole history but we didn't get a ton of rewrites during the process we got a steady amount but it was not comparatively i didn't think it was crazy like it was definitely healthy but it's so close to being like this pristine finished thing and it's crazy to like be here for the final moments of that especially like knowing how much it means to people like that it just was this version like this specific version with these people with these rewrites this time in LA in this place at East West Players um also just like such a delight to be put up by an Asian American theater um not just a queer theater but to have it be brought to especially something like this where people have like season tickets they come back over and over again regardless of what's playing to have them come to see this when it could have they could have chosen anything and they chose this show and yeah i'm really excited to be any part of sharing it with people like i know that this is what like when I was Henry's age, I needed the show. Like it's mm-hmm. tacky to say mm-hmm. that, but it's frankly true. I so I must. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> like <laughs> I could have saved myself a lot of time if this had already existed. And the show is not always easy for me. Usually I have I'm playing a woman, so there's this huge buffer between who I think I am at home and who everybody is experiencing on stage. But in this show, like not only is it just like me, like me, I literally, I don't know what the end game of Jay's gender in life is. Henry doesn't know what the end game of Henry's gender is. And in this show, I'm constantly like taking my shirt off and taking my pants off. Like you, people see more of me in a non-sexual way, but it's still ex- extremely intimate. If not like even a sex scene, I feel like I can put up a wall between that. But with this, just like regular life stuff, regular trans stuff feels so vulnerable. And like, what a like hedonistic opportunity for me to like get to learn about all these parts of myself to get to not just play a man, but a trans man. Like, I mean, it's great for everybody else who gets to see it because the show is awesome. But it's incredible, incredible for me to actually like learn, like receive information back from a production that I'm doing, as opposed to just putting my energy into something. Thanks, Jaya. Uh, Kit? Couldn't have said it any better than uh, Jupiter and Jaya just did. (laughs) Yeah, I totally agree. I think, um, you know, I think overall doing it here at this time at East West Players really was a blessing for us in our like writing process and really getting further and being able to make changes. Like Jaya said, it wasn't a whole, whole a lot of them because there was a long history of working on the show but uh but we did do some significant stuff and um that you know that we hadn't worked on before so so really just grateful for the opportunity and 
to get to meet these fantastic actors that we didn't know before. Now we know and have worked with y'all and you're amazing. So yeah, thank you. Thank you so much, everybody. It's James. Thank you, James. Thank you so much. Next week on Represent the QueerMusicals.com podcast, we're joined by Alice Croft and Evie Rose Lane, who are both recently seen in the production of But I'm a Cheerleader. What I was telling myself is, it looks worse when you try to hide it. Just like, enjoy it. The audience are loving it, you enjoy it too. And that's, that was my process when I was audibly laughing in your face, going, <laughs> fully laughing, really. This episode will come out on Friday the 3rd of September. See you there.